Good morning, how we doing? Good to uh, see you today. Uh, we are continuing uh, to look at 1 Thessalonians uh, as we think about uh, this concept of living with eternity in mind. And this morning we're going to be uh, going through a, a passage studying about the second coming uh, of Christ in chapter 4, verse 1 uh, Thessalonians, verses 13 through 18. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and take them out, turn there, and you can follow along with me. Uh, last week I, I, I talked a little bit about building blocks, and now this week we're going to talk uh, foundations. And I don't know about you, but I don't know uh, a lot about building stuff. Uh, but I do know that if you don't build on a foundation, you're going to be in big trouble. Right? Like, it doesn't matter how high the building is. It doesn't matter how great the building looks. If it doesn't have a, a good, solid foundation, it's just not going to stand. And so today we're going to talk about the foundation that we build on for uh, our future. And so when it comes to building a foundation for the future, pe people oftentimes, uh, they just build on the wrong foundation, right? That's how they get themselves into trouble. And, and I'm talking uh, about unbelievers who just build their lives on the wrong things. Believers also at times have a tendency to build on the wrong foundation as well, and it just affects how they think and how they feel about life. And so what is the right foundation? Is it the foundation of pride? Right? A lot of people build their life on that. Right? Look at me. I'm always right. Blah, blah, blah. I'm the best. You know, just pride. Is it, the founda is it a foundation of materialism? It, like, is that the right one? If I could just make more money, if the bank account is good, then the foundation is good. Is that right? Do, do you build it on denial or do you build it on fear? A lot of people do that. There's only one right foundation for the future. There's only one foundation that we can build on that will provide us a life of security and a life of joy. And it is the foundation uh, uh, of the hope that we have in Jesus. Right? That, that will last. It's very important for us to understand this this morning. There's an incredible difference between a wish about the future and a hope for the future. If it's not built on certainty, it's just a wish. It's not a hope. A hope is built on something that you're absolutely sure of. It's like when an American is held captive by another country and their family wants them to come home. Right, as long as they're being held captive, the family does not have a hope that they'll come home. What they have is they have a wish that they will come home. For all they know, the individual might be executed or maybe never come home at all. They don't have a hope until they know that that person that's held captive is on an American plane flying home. And then they have a certain fact that says, now I have a hope. Point is, a lot of people think they have a hope, but in reality... They just have a wish. And the great thing about being a believer in Christ is that you and I have a hope for the future. It is for certain what God is going to do. 
right, we're going to take a look at that this morning. God's certainty for the future. Paul starts off in 1 Thessalonians verse 13 by saying this, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Right? Hope must be built on truth. He doesn't want us to be ignorant about the truth, because if you are, then you have no hope. When you have hope, you don't have a wish anymore. You have a hope that you can hang on to. And as we walk through the passage, we're going to see what Paul has to say here, these foundations to build on. And I realize there are a lot of things that I'm not going to get to today about the second coming, right? This is a big topic, But, but we're going to talk about a few of the foundations. This is just driving me nuts. Here, we're just going to fix it right now. Sorry. Let's see if we can do that. All right. So Paul writes to answer some of these very practical questions. And he writes not just because of the Thessalonians' intellectual interest in the second coming. He writes to them not just because of their curiosity either. He writes to them because they have some very personal concerns uh, that, that they have and they want answers to. And so listen to what he says in verse 13 to 15. But we do not want you to be un uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Then he says this. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For, they, for this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. So, so here's the deal. They believed that Jesus would come again at any moment, right? Like they actually believed it. Side note, those that are believers here today, we, we probably should believe that too. Like not, not, not just say it, like, yeah, I know, we all say, just come back. Right now, we need to actually believe that. So let's just walk through this passage this morning. We're going to see some of these real concerns that they had. They were troubled by this idea that Christians might miss out on a great future event, that they might miss the victory and the blessing of Jesus' coming. So sleep was a common way to express death in the ancient world among pagans. It was almost uh, always seen as an internal sleep for the Christian. Death is leaving this body, lying down for a nap, and walking in glory. It's moving, not dying. And for those reasons, Christians should not grieve like those who have no hope, right? When their loved ones who are believers die. And Paul wanted the Thessalonians to know that those who are asleep, Christians who have died before Jesus returns, will not be at a disadvantage. Those who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede them. And God will allow those who are asleep to share in the glory of the coming of the Lord. And so they had some pretty good questions. So if you ever had somebody who was close to you that died, you know that these are real things that go through your mind. These are questions that you might have. And God doesn't want us to be ignorant. He wants us to know 
what happened to those that we love. And so he wants us not to grieve as those who have no hope. And notice he, he doesn't say not to grieve, right? You, you need to and should grieve. But you don't grieve like someone who doesn't have a hope, right? You, you, you're, you're grieving. You know that you will be together with them again one day. Because if the world can't see hope from the believer, where is it, it going to see it? Like we're the only source. Let's take a look at these three questions about the second coming. Go ahead and take your note sheets out. You can follow along with me this morning. Question number one, what will happen? So when Jesus comes back, exactly what will happen? Paul writes it, right? He lays it out for us. Four things that are going to happen. And here's the time that you need to, to, to track with me a little bit. Now's not the time to look out the window. I know it's a nice day. Now's not the time, right? You need to track here. Because we're going to be all over the place. The first thing that's going to happen is the return of Christ. First part of verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven. There is no doubt as you read the scriptures that the Bible teaches that Jesus not only came to earth the first time, but he is coming again. Right? One scholar estimated that there are 1,845 references to Jesus' second coming in the Old Testament. 17 books in the Old Testament gives, gives, give it some prominence. 260 chapters of the New Testament, there are 316 references to the second coming of Christ. For every prophecy about the first coming in the Bible, there are eight which look forward to the second coming. The truth is all throughout the Bible. God does not want us to miss this hope. Jesus is going to return. There are two things that are going to happen when he returns. One is that he gathers his church to himself. And two, that he judges the world, right? He judges the nations and the unbelievers. So at this point, you need to know that there are some people who believe that these two events happen at the exact same time. That Jesus would come, gather his church, judges the world. And then there are others who believe that these are two separate events. That's my camp, right? That's where I'm going Jesus comes gathers period of time called the tribulation that happens few battles take place Jesus judges the world right either way Jesus comes again he gathers his children to himself his church his bride and then he judges the nations it's very clear why he comes and then there are three pronouncements that will happen first one is that he comes with a loud command, verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of a command. So apparently there's going to be this audible signal that prompts this remarkable event. Right, John 5, 25, not in your notes. Bonus, write it down in your notes. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live right these verses just indicate that this loud command is going to be heard by those believers who have died before jesus returns right those who, who hear will be 
resurrected. Now we know Jesus can resurrect people with a loud command. Happened in John 11. A guy named Lazarus, right? He'd been dead for four days. Jesus walks up to the tomb, says, Lazarus, come out. Except for he like shouts it. A lot of Bible commentators noted that if Jesus just said come out, like the whole graveyard would have emptied out. Right? So he said what? Lazarus, come out. And what happens? Lazarus walks out. Let me say this about Lazarus. He was not resurrected. He was resuscitated, right? His body was back, brought back to life even though he'd been dead for four days. Lazarus would die again. But the Bible does say that one day Jesus with a loud command and all of those who have died in Christ, all believers who had died before the return of Christ will come out of their graves. Here's where you need to track with me. If the dead will hear and will live, does that mean that somehow their soul and body go into the grave and they're asleep there, and when Jesus returns, that's when we come back to life? Is that what he's saying? I will give you the answer now, and then we'll, we'll play it out here in a minute. The answer is that that is not what the Bible is teaching. We're going to talk about the difference of, of our body and soul, our bodies when we die, and how Jesus will resurrect our bodies someday. There are two other things that we need to look at that will happen when Jesus comes again. Number two, he comes with the voice of the archangel. Verse 16 again, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of a command with the voice of an archangel. It's written about the archangel Michael in, in Daniel 12.1. At this time shall arise Michael, a great prince, who is charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never been since there was a nation till that time. But at the time your people shall be delivered, and everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. So you have this voice of, of Michael, and then thirdly, you have the trumpet call of God. Are you tracking here? This is quite a day, right? It's a pretty spectacular trumpet call. Bible talks about it in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 51 52. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised and perishable, and we shall be changed. So the trumpet sounds. Christians who have died already, the Bible says, will be raised with transformed bodies. Write bodies in your notes today. We will get to that in a second. Very important about what happens when we die. Then all who are living will be transformed so that they will never die. Paul is answering these very important questions that the Thessalonians had. And then after the return, there's the resurrection. Verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry, with the voice of the archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God. And then look what it says, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Bible talks about this in the Old Testament, Daniel 12, 2. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And then over in Philippians 3.21, it says, Who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to, to subject all things to himself. So, so when you die, if you die, right? Jesus could come back today, by the way. You were immediately resurrected. No, that, that's not. When the believer dies today, their body 
doesn't disappear for three or five days. No, we bury it, we cremate it, we do whatever. When you and I die as believers, we're not immediately resurrected in our body. Does that mean that my body and soul stays in the grave and awaits Jesus to come again? No. When we die, our spirit and body separates. Our body, the shell, stays on earth. Our spirit goes to be with the Lord. Jesus talks about this on the cross when he said to the thief, today you will be with me in paradise. Not when I come back, not when I return. I'm going to take you with me now. Paul talks about this when he says to depart from this body to be present with the Lord. You see it again and again in scriptures. Hebrews 12 says we're to go to heaven to be with the spirits of those who have been made perfect in the Lord. So when we die spiritually, our spirits go to be with the Lord in heaven. Bible's clear about that. And what do we look like in our spiritual body? I don't know. I'm looking forward to it, though. It's got to be better than this. Right? But I do know I'll be present with the Lord as a believer. Right? It's encouraging. That's hope. But it's not the end of the story. There's a resurrection that will happen someday. So the question is, if our spirits go be with the Lord, then when do we get our resurrected body? We get them when the Lord returns, First Corinthians 15. It clearly says that we're all going to have resurrected body, transformed and perfect. Here's the picture. Jesus is in heaven with those who have died and gone before to be with him. And when he returns, he brings all those people and that body that has been in the grave somehow is immediately transformed and they meet together in this incredible moment where they're reunited. And so some people are like, doesn't the body, come from, body become dust in, in a few years after we die? Yeah, God made us out of dust, by the way. Pretty sure he can put it back together again. This is what the Thessalonians were concerned about. They thought that people who already died... We're not going to be raptured and get a resurrected body like us. And it didn't seem right to them. didn't seem fair to them. And Paul had to teach them, no, that's not what's going to happen. But then there are people who want, who want to go through the tribulation time and get that whole experience. Right? There are some people that want to go through half of it and then the return and, and all of that. I, I'm in the camp. I'm going, let's just go first, huh? What do you think? I'm in that camp. What we see in 1 Corinthians 15 is that the resurrected body is not gruesome or grotesque or a morbid body. It is a resurrected body. It is a perfect body. We're not talking about the night of the living dead. We're talking about the day with the living Lord. Right? It's very different. So he resurrects us. He makes us a new body. Did you notice in Philippians it said that our bodies, our resurrected bodies would be like Jesus' body? Did you catch that? The resurrected body that the disciples interacted with, with Jesus after he died. They sat down and ate by the seashore. They, they talked with, with, with each other in the upper room. They were able to be with him and, and, and walk with him. It's incredible to think about what God has for us in the future. Like, I can't wait for no time and no space, right? Just want to be wherever you want to go. Like, no airplanes, I'm in. Some of you got that. Some of you didn't. It's fine. Now that, 
Now, what about those who are alive when Jesus returns, right? We have the rapture, first part of verse 17. Then, then, when, or then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up in the air with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So, so they'll be caught up with Jesus. The literal meaning of the word rapture, right? It's a Latin word which means caught up. So the rapture and the second coming of Jesus, two separate events. Some people think it's going to happen simultaneously. Some people think it's going to be separated by this period of tribulation. They're both a part of what happens when Jesus comes back again. In the rapture, those people will not die, but they'll be resurrected, and somehow they'll be transformed immediately. The Bible says they'll be caught up in the air in the clouds. Right? It could happen at any time. So we've seen the return, the resurrection, then the rapture. Last part of verse 17, we see the reunion. So we will always be with the Lord. It's a reunion. How many people this morning have been to your 20th high school reunion? Anybody? There's a few. It's because we have all these young people down here. How many people have a regular family reunion? Anybody do that? How many people would say that reunions aren't all what they're cracked up to be? I mean, can you imagine this reunion, though? Like people's bodies being reunited with, with, spirits for, with their spirits for eternity, family members seeing each other for the first time in a long time, seeing people from your past going like, how did you make it in, by the way? <laughs> like that's probably going to happen, right? United with people from our church, more importantly than anything else, is that Jesus is going to be right at the center of the reunion. Right, it's going to be the best experience ever. Like I can look at you this morning and tell you without a doubt, the most exciting event in your life has not happened yet. Right, so you can do all the water skiing you want, all the skydiving you want, all the whatever it is that, that, that you think is super cool. It's nothing like this. And no matter what you're going through right now, and I get it, some of you are going through some tough things. But as a believer in Christ, you have something to look forward to. Like nothing can take that away from you. And then look at what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4.18. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Like these words shouldn't scare us, they should encourage us. They shouldn't confuse us, they should encourage us. Notice the admonition, encourage one another. Well, like we should be speaking these words to one another. Right, point number two on your outline this morning. When will it happen? The Bible has a lot to say about the signs. Jesus taught on this. There's much in the writings of Peter and others in the New Testament. So when will it happen? First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Two Greek words here for time, and they're both expressed here. One means exact time, time you would measure in seconds and minutes, and then there's a time that's just short of the season when something happens. And Paul writes to them, he says, as to the exact time and the periods of time, 
when it's going to happen, he says, you don't need to know. He's following up on what Jesus said in Acts 1-7. It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. In other words, it's by God's will that this will be done. So Paul tells him, here's the foundation. There's a lot of things that you, that, that to build on in the Bible, but get this one. Two pictures and two words that go with these pictures. The first picture is that it's going to be like a thief in the night, right? Suddenly. It's going to happen unexpectedly. Jesus taught this, Matthew 24, verses 43, 44. Actually, I'm going to start in 42. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. The second picture is that it's going to be like labor pains of a pregnant woman. Not only suddenly, but it's going to be for certain. Like when labor pains start, you know something's going to happen, right? In certainty, something's going to take place. I remember when my wife was in labor with Jordan, our first child. So I had this bright idea on the way to the hospital. It was a 45-minute drive. Um, she's like, we got to go. Let's, let's time all that. I, I had this idea. I thought... It would be okay to stop at the grocery store, return the movies that we had rented to watch while she was getting to this point, right? Because I didn't want to pay the late fees. Now, needless to say, she wasn't exactly thrilled with that. Right? When it comes to Christ returning, when it's time, it's time. And it will happen for sure. At any moment, Jesus could come back. Number three on your outline today is what should our attitude be about this? I, I know some believers who are fearful when it comes to the second coming of Christ. Let's just go over some of that this morning. First one, we should not fear his judgment. And maybe some of you are wondering if you're going to face judgment. Because you know you're not perfect, right? Well, Jesus taught in John 5 that if you're a believer, you've already passed out of judgment and into life. We'll have different rewards in heaven, but we will not be judged as believers. That's what forgiveness is all about. That's what the cross is all about. So you don't have to be afraid of that. We should not fear what will happen at the end times. And, and I get it, right? We read the stories in Revelation. We get the pictures of the tribulation. Are we going to go through it? Are we not going to go through it? Either way, here's what I know. God will give us the strength when we need it to have it. We should not fear Jesus catching us doing something wrong. That was a big thing when I was a kid, right? What if, right? You were doing whatever and Jesus comes back, right? Well, the whole idea of the second coming is that it can happen at any moment. And so we are to live a life alert and ready at all times. And then we should not fear the future. And I get this one as well. If you're younger, you guys are here, and, and I get it. You want to get married. You want to have kids. You want to do all. You want to go to college. You want to do all these things. But I also understand that the plans that Jesus has for us in heaven are seriously mind-blowing. We can't even imagine what that's going to be like. It's going to be absolutely awesome. 
And so we should look forward to it with anticipation and excitement of what God's going to do. Like, think about what you're looking forward to right now. Like, I'm thinking, like, no snow would be good, right? Starting of spring and summer activities, whatever you like to do. I'm looking forward to the ice cream in the back of the freezer that I'm going to eat when my wife goes to bed, right? Those things that you look forward to. My, my point here is that our anticipation and our excitement should be more than that. We should long for the return of Christ. So that's my question for you today. That's my challenge for you today. Is that your heart? Are, are, are you longing for the return of Christ? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word today. And God, my prayer is that as believers that are gathered in this place today, that we would have a longing in our hearts for you to return. Father, if there's anybody here today that is not a Christ follower, and, and you've heard a little bit about heaven today, maybe you're here and maybe you want to give your heart and life to Christ. I want to invite you to do that. Just pray and tell Jesus that you believe that he died on a cross for your sin and that you want him to come into your heart and life. Father, thank you for all that you're going to do. We look forward, we anticipate the return of Christ. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.